Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Supreme Court officially overturned Roe v. Wade this morning in a 6-3 decision. The 50-year-old ruling that made abortion legal across the nation was ended. The bipartisan gun control bill has passed in the Senate, but what's in the bill? The content is raising concern among some Second Amendment advocates. An economist warning the next stage of inflation is coming and it could lead to even more price increases. What can the Federal Reserve do? A video from the U.S. Navy has drawn criticism. It teaches the correct use of gender pronouns, but critics ask what it has to do with protecting the country. The Supreme Court has formally overturned Roe v. Wade. The high court voted 6-3 to three this morning. It came after a leaked draft majority opinion caused a national uproar. The 1973 ruling had set a precedent that federalized abortion policy and overrode the states, making the procedure lawful throughout the entire U.S. Today's ruling came in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. In the case, the only state-licensed abortion clinic in Mississippi opposed the state's Gestational Age Act, which allows abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy only for medical emergencies or severe fetal abnormality. Citing Roe, lower courts held that the state statute was unconstitutional. Politico published the leaked draft document dated February 10th on May 2nd without disclosing its source. Justice Samuel Alito wrote the majority opinion, which five other justices joined. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote a dissenting opinion that was joined by two liberal justices. In a show of bipartisan support Thursday night, 15 Republican senators joined Democrats in passing what is being called the most significant federal gun control bill in decades. But the contents of the package have some Second Amendment advocates concerned. NTD reporter Jeremy Sandberg explains. Senators Chris Murphy and John Cornyn led a bipartisan group of senators to work out a compromise gun bill that stood a chance of passing the 60-vote filibuster rule in the Senate. The Senate advanced the 80-page Safer Communities Act on Tuesday night. Two days later, it passed with a vote of 65 to 33. Those who say we need to infringe on the rights of law-abiding citizens under the Constitution in order to make good policy are offering a false choice. Passing good public policy and supporting the Constitution are not mutually exclusive. Cornyn was booed during his speech at the Texas GOP convention last week over his involvement in the legislation and supporting enhanced funding for red flag laws. Provisions in the bill include funding for school safety and mental health programs, increased background checks consisting of juvenile records and mental health backgrounds for gun buyers ages 18 to 21, state crisis intervention programs, and incentives for red flag laws. Red flag laws are being called unconstitutional by some because they allow guns to be taken away from those deemed a threat to themselves or others without due process. States without red flag laws can use the funds for crisis intervention programs such as mental health and veteran treatment courts. Another measure in the bill receiving criticism is closing the so-called boyfriend loophole. Under the old law, individuals convicted of domestic violence crimes against spouses, partners with shared children, and those living together were prohibited from having guns. The bill would broaden the law to apply to people who commit crimes against their boyfriend or girlfriend as well. The definition of a gun dealer will be narrowed under the new bill, with gun sellers being required to register as federally licensed dealers. 
The bill aims to crack down on gun trafficking and straw purchases, imposing harsher penalties for people buying guns for others that aren't allowed to purchase firearms on their own. Critics say very few people who don't have a federal firearms license would be selling a large number of guns in the first place. Most Republicans and Democrats agree that putting more money toward mental health programs and school security are positive provisions in the bill. The bill is expected to quickly pass in the Democrat-controlled House and move on to the President's desk to be signed into law. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Reactions are pouring in after the Supreme Court struck down a New York State gun regulation on concealed carry. The law required an applicant to show proper cause for such a permit. The plaintiffs in the case are celebrating the victory, while gun control advocates criticize the high court and say the ruling will make life more dangerous. Here are the details. Several prominent gun safety advocates held a virtual meeting on Thursday and criticized the Supreme Court's decision to strike down New York State's restrictions on carrying concealed handguns in public. The advocates say everyone will be less safe because more people will be carrying firearms. The gun laws that might make sense in Montana or in, in, in the desert in Arizona don't make sense on a crowded subway car in New York City or in Times Square or at Yankee Stadium. And so tourists now will come to New York carrying their weapons. More people will be harmed by guns as a result of today's decision. More people will be intimidated by guns. More people will be shot and wounded. And more people will be shot and killed. This decision is radical judicial extremism at its worst. And Americans will die as a result. And on the other side of the debate is the president of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. His organization is one of the plaintiffs that brought the lawsuit against the New York gun law. He says the problem is not with legal gun owners, it's with criminals. More danger than there is right now. Uh, I I think that what what we have found and what the statistics will bear out is is that anywhere where uh, a universal uh, pistol permit carrying has been approved, the crime rate has gone down because the, the criminals are, are, are just as worried about confronting someone who has a gun as the people who are unarmed are worried about being confronted by an armed criminal. A criminologist from the College of Criminal Justice at the City University of New York says he doesn't expect crime to go up because of the ruling. He points out that in New York State, 74% of the firearms used in crimes are illegally obtained and that people who get concealed carry permits are not the problem. We are still going to see pretty low numbers of concealed carry permit holders. They're nothing new, so uh, they're going to be available in the system. And quite frankly, when folks get a concealed carry permit, they're going through an in-depth background check. But a fair amount of the literature shows that concealed carry uh, permit holders nationally tend to have lower incidence of crime than the general public. The gun law in New York has been in place for over a century. It requires people to show a proper cause for carrying concealed handguns in public in order to get permission from the state. The Supreme Court on Thursday deemed it unconstitutional. Next, we get some analysis on the Supreme Court's ruling striking down New York's law that limits guns in public. We hear from an attorney at a nonpartisan research institute. Please welcome Chance Weldon, who is the Director of Litigation at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thank you for making the time, Chance. Thanks for having me. Yes. Now, President Biden has recently cited shootings in Texas and Buffalo, New York, in his statement saying that he's expressing disappointment 
with the Supreme Court ruling surrounding New York's concealed carry gun permitting system. What do you make of this? I think it's just politics as usual. I mean, when you look at the decision of the court, and, and Justice Alito actually pointed this out in his concurring opinion, you know, the Buffalo shooting occurred while this New York law was still on the books. So the, the law that was struck down by the Supreme Court yesterday would have done nothing to prevent these sorts of mass shootings. It only restricted the law abiding, the rights of law abiding Americans. And what does this recent ruling mean for Second Amendment rights going forward? Look, it really is going to set the test going forward. I think it's important to point out that really there are two things that happened in this case. You know, the first is, is relatively non-controversial that New York's law was struck down. New York had a uniquely bad licensing law that required uh, individuals who wanted to carry a gun for self-defense to go to a single government agent who had unbridled authority to decide whether or not they had a special need to exercise their Second Amendment rights. And if we applied that to any other constitutional right across the board, there's no question that the court would have found it unconstitutional. What's interesting about this case is that the Supreme Court opinion yesterday sets a whole new standard for how we look at Second Amendment rights, which says that it's the text and the history, and then once you've established that this is something covered by the Second Amendment, then the government interest is not considered. You just say that the Second Amendment says shall not be infringed, and shall not be infringed means what it says. And this law had been on the books for more than a century. Why now? Well, you know, I think over time, a lot of these things that sit on the books for a long time, it doesn't make them more constitutional. But at this point, we have six judges on the, on the Supreme Court who are, who are willing to take the text and the history of the Constitution seriously. Um, and that's how you get opinions like you got yesterday. And what does this so-called conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court mean for red flag laws going forward? You know, it's not really clear from the, from the, from the opinion yesterday how that will play out. Um, what the court said, and I think it's a really honest and humble opinion, is that with each of these laws, you're going to look for historical analogs. You're going to go to the text and the history and the tradition of the Second Amendment and see if this is something that would be covered by the right to bear arms. And so the court really left open uh, litigation in the future to determine on a law-by-law -law basis whether or not there's a historical justification for those sorts of laws. And the Constitution, obviously, is the law of the land here. But now, do you have any statistics that show anything about whether or not concealed carry actually helps in self-defense? You know, I am a lawyer first and foremost, and not a, and not a policy wonk. But I, I, you know, from what I, from what I, my understanding is that the concealed carry actually allows people to protect themselves. Um, and in this case, you know, open carry sometimes allows people to protect themselves. And that's what this is about is that individuals, Americans, law-abiding citizens have a fundamental, unalienable right to protect themselves, to self-defense. And, you know, the law in New York that was on the books was structured to make sure that celebrities and rich folks had the ability to, to get a gun under that licensing scheme, but poor folks and other ordinary Americans didn't have that same right. And that was unconstitutional, and that was wrong, and it was good that the court struck it down. Chance Weldon at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The U.S. Supreme Court is limiting the ability to enforce Miranda rights. In a 6-3 ruling Thursday, the court ruled suspects who are not warned about their right to remain silent cannot sue a police officer for damages under federal civil rights law. 
That's even if the evidence was ultimately used against them in their criminal trial. The ruling cuts back on a person's protections against self-incrimination by barring the potential to obtain damages. It also means the failure to administer the warning will not expose a police officer to potential damages in a civil lawsuit. The court clarified while the Miranda warning protects a constitutional right, the warning itself is not a right that would trigger the ability to bring a civil lawsuit. An economist is warning Americans to brace for the economy to become even more precarious. He says the next stage of inflation is coming. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. Inflation comes in several stages. And based on historical precedent, the next one the U.S. faces won't be pretty. That's according to Ross McKittrick. He's an economics professor at the University of Guelph in Ontario. He laid out his four stages of inflation in an interview with the Epic Times this week titled Next Stage of Inflation is Coming, Economist Says. The first stage, he says, is money illusion, when people think they have more money than they do. That happens when newly printed money enters the economy. Think pandemic relief. The number of dollars in circulation skyrocketed during the pandemic. New dollars added to the economy dilute the value of the dollars already in circulation. This means your dollars now buy less. McKittrick says this leads to the second stage, where reality sets in. People realize how much less they can afford at the new prices, and they start to cut back on their expenses. He says this is where we're at now. Businesses are also cutting back. A growing number of companies, especially in tech, are laying off workers, including Twitter, Netflix, and Tesla. Others, like crypto exchange Coinbase, are even telling people they offer jobs to that they can't hire them anymore. McKittrick warns about the next stage we're entering, which is hard bargaining. Workers demand higher wages to offset inflation, and employers resist because they're facing higher costs too. He said if that kind of wage settlement process gets calibrated to the inflation rate, then that becomes a new driver of price increases, called the wage price spiral. It's a perpetual loop of consistent price increases. McKittrick says the fourth stage is a pay cut. Somebody has to give in. He said the Fed's behind the curve on inflation, but it can still play a role by changing expectations. He said if the Fed can convince people that prices will at least stop significantly increasing, that removes a lot of inflationary pressure. People would learn to live with existing prices without demanding higher wages. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The U.S. Navy has come under fire for a video instructing the use of gender pronouns. Lawmakers say it has nothing to do with the Navy's combat readiness. A video from the Navy is facing ridicule on social media. It teaches sailors how to use proper pronouns to reflect one's preferred gender identity. Hosting the show are Johnny Rosin and Conchi Vasquez, two engineers at the Naval Undersea Warfare Center in Rhode Island. Hi, my name is Johnny and I use he, him pronouns. Hi, and I'm Conchi and I use she, her pronouns. And we're here to talk about pronouns. Rosin says using the correct pronouns is, quote, a simple way to affirm someone's identity and a signal of acceptance and respect. Vasquez then tosses him a specific question. If it's a signal of acceptance and respect, how do we go about creating a safe space for everybody? That's a good question. A really good way to do that is to use inclusive language. Instead of saying something like, hey guys, you can say, hey everyone, or hey team. The video continues. Another way that we could show that we're allies and that we accept everybody is 
to maybe include our pronouns in our emails or like we just did, introduce ourselves using our pronoun. The shell also suggests what to do upon using a pronoun that a person doesn't prefer. You correct yourself and move on or you accept the correction and move on. The most important thing I can tell you is do not put the burden of making you feel good about your mistake on the person that you just misgendered. The nearly four minute video was shot one year ago but was only released this May. It sparked immediate criticism and mockery after the Washington Free Beacon posted it on Twitter. Many question what the concept of safe space has to do with protecting the nation. Texas Representative Dan Crenshaw, a former Navy SEAL, said the Navy should focus on war instead of pronouns, calling the video stupidity. Representative Jim Banks, a member of the Navy Reserve, pointed to the woke nature of the video. Another congressman, Billy Long, echoed a similar message, saying, while China is building the world's largest navy, including the launch of a supercarrier last week, Democrats focus on gender studies and critical race theory training for our military, adding China must be petrified. The Department of Defense and the Defense Media Activity haven't responded to requests for comment. And now to a shocking video which shows a VA clinic worker body slamming a 73-year-old Vietnam veteran. The altercation appears to have started after the vet waved papers in the employee's face. And today's Jason Perry has the story. In a surveillance video recently obtained by WSB-TV, 73-year-old Philip Webb is waiting to discuss scheduling a hernia surgery while at a VA clinic in Atlanta. The Vietnam vet told WSB-TV that he knocked on the door to let someone know he was going to leave to use the restroom. VA employee Lawrence F. Gaillard Jr. walked out and Webb waved papers in his face. When Gaillard pointed his finger in Webb's face, Webb tried to swat it away and then this happened. Gaillard slammed Webb into the wall, choked him and then body slammed him and then he kicked Webb in the back of the head. And before Gaillard walked away, he kicked him in the head one more time. Webb was hospitalized for three days with a brain bleed. According to Military.com, Gaillard was initially charged with felony assault by the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Northern District of Georgia. And the case was later transferred to the Fulton County District Attorney's Office because of jurisdiction issues. The press secretary for the Department of Veterans Affairs, Terrence Hayes, told Task and Purpose, we are horrified at the video of a VA employee assaulting a veteran at the Atlanta VA healthcare system on April 28th. This disturbing behavior is contrary to our core values of treating veterans with the dignity and respect they deserve. Hayes also added that Gaillard was suspended from the VA without pay and that he couldn't comment further because the matter is still under investigation. Jason Perry, NTD News. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's 82-year-old husband has been formally charged with DUI causing injury. The victim in the May 28th car accident has requested not to be identified. The House Speaker was on the East Coast at the time of the incident, which took place in Napa County. Misdemeanor charges against Paul Pelosi could put him in jail for a minimum of five days, followed by up to five years of probation. Pelosi may have to take a court-ordered drinking driver class as well as be required to use an ignition interlock device. That means he would have to blow into a device in the car to prove he has a safe blood alcohol level before driving. Paul Pelosi's arraignment in Napa County Superior Court is on August 3rd. Still to come, travel experts say nearly 50 million people will hit the road this 4th of July weekend despite high gas prices. That's an increase of nearly 4% from last year. 
All that and more in just a minute here on NTD News. Florida is cracking down on carriers that transport illegal immigrants. State agencies and local governments have new restrictions. They can no longer deal with companies that knowingly transport illegal border crossers into the state. That's after Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill on Thursday. DeSantis said the Biden administration is encouraging international human smuggling operations, and he said Floridians' tax dollars should not go to corporations that facilitate this. The new law goes into effect later this year. It requires law enforcement agencies that operate a county detention facility to work with ICE to have officers that handle immigration enforcement. The law also requires common carrier companies, such as railroads or bus lines, to disclose to state agents if they transport illegal immigrants. Google says spyware has been used to hack Apple and Android phones overseas. The tech giant shared the news in a report. It says the Italian company RCS Lab is behind hacking tools that spy on devices, private messages, and contacts. The tools were used on smartphones in Italy and Kazakhstan. Google says it has alerted users of its Android operating system about the spyware and has taken steps to protect them. Apple has not reacted to the report. RCS Lab says its products and services comply with European rules and are used to help law enforcement agencies investigate crimes. Americans are facing a tough choice as Independence Day weekend approaches. Stay home and save money as gas prices soar or fill up their tanks anyway and enjoy a vacation. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Travel experts say nearly 50 million people will hit the road this 4th of July weekend, an increase of nearly 4% from last year after two years of pandemic concerns and restrictions. The overall travel volume is going to be fairly close to pre-pandemic levels, down just about 8% from what we saw in 2019 during that 4th of July weekend, you know, before the pandemic began. But it is going to be about 3.7% higher than what we saw last year for 4th of July. The average gallon of gas is now around $5 nationally, but it's even higher in some states. Despite the price, AAA is expecting a new record for car travel. Most Americans will be traveling by automobile, even with the higher pump prices, because it just makes sense. It's more convenient. People can leave when they want to leave, return when they want to leave. Many Americans may also feel that traveling by car is more reliable than air travel at the moment. Also, you know, given the flight delays and cancellations that we've heard about in recent weeks and what we saw over Memorial Day, many people will look to their old-fashioned road trips as their primary mode of transportation. Prices have been soaring in the U.S. for weeks. Experts say it's down to the old issue of supply and demand. People have this pent-up demand and they want to travel. We see that the airports right now and it's going to move into domestic travel in terms of people driving to see family. We don't see that changing anytime soon. But consumers are still feeling the squeeze. You used to be able to bond with your car at the gas pump, but no, because prices are so high, you put in $30, it's done in a second. While prices surge at the pump, Americans can also expect high prices at the grocery store as they get ready for 4th of July festivities. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Officials in Connecticut say two New Haven officers have been placed on paid leave and three others were reassigned after a man was seriously injured in the back of a police van.
Mayor Justin Elliker and police officials said Richard Cox is being treated at a hospital and could be permanently paralyzed. State police have been called in to investigate. Officials say an officer driving the van Sunday braked hard to avoid an accident and Cox flew headfirst into a wall. The president of the Connecticut chapter of the NAACP is calling for a federal investigation. Talk to any Buckeye and you'll know their school is called The Ohio State University. Now the institution has trademarked the word The according to USA Today. This has been a years-long fight for Buckeye Nation. In 2019, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office initially rejected Ohio State's applications, saying the word was ornamental. Also, fashion designer Mark Jacobs had filed an application for the word a few months earlier, but in August 2021, the fashion retailer and OSU reached an agreement about the word the. Then the university spent months justifying to the patent office how the word the is part of their brand recognition. With this newly registered trademark, the Ohio State University can appear on t-shirts, hats, and other athletic attire. Check your receipt the next time you eat out. Some restaurants are adding surcharges to offset higher costs for wages, food, and fuel. According to the National Restaurant Association, diners may notice the surcharges displayed on menus, checks, and websites. The organization points out that restaurants are dealing with rising wholesale food prices up 15.6% in the last year. The online restaurant reservation service OpenTable reports fewer people are going out to eat, signaling a possible slowdown in consumer spending due to inflation. But there is a bright spot for restaurants. The Census Bureau says restaurant sales were up month over month in May to $85 billion. An eyewitness video posted online showed forked lightning and a rainbow on Wednesday evening in the city of Hollister, California. Here's a post from William Justo, who uploaded the video on Twitter. Stunning. Lightning with rainbow. Here is one from last night's epic show. The thunderstorms were caused by a low-pressure system off the coast pulling moisture northward into the region, according to meteorologists. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, countries in Europe's Balkan region are losing hope of ever being approved to join the European Union. That's after seeing Ukraine get fast-tracked for candidacy. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. The EU has accepted Ukraine as a candidate to join the bloc, and it has done so on the fast track in solidarity over the war. But what about the Balkan states that have been candidates for a long time? Well, now they're feeling neglected. Additionally, progress is lagging for their citizens to travel to the Union without visas, and the Balkans don't expect much from this week's summit with the EU. Kosovo has been waiting for visa-free travel to the European Union for more than a decade. So this restaurant owner put up a fake Eiffel Tower for his diners. It's a sort of consolation prize for those who can't go to Paris, Lerim Bisnimi says. The joke reflects Balkan disillusionment about the prospect of ever joining the EU, which is such that two of the six states in the region, Albania and Serbia, nearly stayed away from Thursday's Balkan-EU summit in Brussels, but changed their minds at the last minute. All but Bosnia and Kosovo are candidates. But there's been a lack of progress on milestones like visa-free travel. Now Ukraine's fast-track candidacy, a gesture of solidarity after Russia's invasion, 
has increased the feeling the Balkans have been sidelined. In Kosovo's capital, Pristina, Artondem Hasai heads anti-corruption body Kohu, which means wake up. The European Union has no clear enlargement policies towards the Western Balkans. And if countries who aspire to join the EU face delays, they will reorientate their policies and then we will have an increase in Russian and Chinese influence in the Western Balkans. And this will create problems within the EU itself. It will lead to a rise in nationalism that could result in armed conflicts. The EU should take such developments into consideration. In Serbia, the largest Balkan country, enthusiasm for EU membership has plummeted and only 35% are in favour, according to an Ipsos poll in April. Talks have stalled over democratic reforms, corruption and disputes within the Balkans. EU member Bulgaria has blocked the start of accession talks with North Macedonia over a dispute concerning history and language. There's been no progress on overcoming that veto or helping Serbia and Montenegro in their negotiations, which require politically unpopular reforms. By contrast, the EU's earlier eastward enlargement transformed former communist countries such as Poland into thriving market democracies. Now, some EU governments like France, the Netherlands and Denmark fear migration from the Balkans will prompt a backlash and have placed the emphasis on their reform. A draft of the summit statement showed EU leaders will restate their commitment to Balkan membership. EU diplomats do not expect a breakthrough. The White House says NATO's new strategic concept reflects concerns about China, including its economic practices. I think it's a reflection of our allies' equal concerns over the effect of Chinese economic practices, use of forced labor, intellectual theft, um, and, uh, and coercive, aggressive behavior, uh, not just in the region, but elsewhere around the world. Uh, that they believe it's important to, to factor China into the new strategic concept. The Chinese regime is expected to be a key issue in the upcoming G7 and NATO summits. Reflecting NATO's new focus, leaders from Australia, Japan, New Zealand and South Korea will participate in the summit for the first time. President Biden will head to Madrid for the NATO summit on June 29th. That's after meeting with other G7 leaders in Germany. At last year's G7 meeting in England, Biden announced that leaders agreed to propose infrastructure projects in the developing world that would counter Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. The Belt and Road Project has been criticized as a form of debt trap diplomacy. It saddles developing nations with unsustainable debt levels while bolstering Beijing's political and economic clout in those countries. Will America's premier medical research agency keep sending tax dollars to China for research? A lawmaker asked Dr. Anthony Fauci about it. Here's how he responded. The National Institutes of Health, or NIH, has sent over 8 million tax dollars to fund research in China. Now a lawmaker is questioning Dr. Anthony Fauci whether that will stop. In a hearing, Senator Roger Marshall says among the nations considered top threats to the U.S., to my knowledge, only China is receiving U.S. research dollars. The CCP controls their scientists and controls the release of research results they work on. However, NIH grants policies requires that grantees to maintain supporting research records, which they cannot do when those records are under control of the Chinese Communist Party. When will you as director of NIAID stop funding research in China? 
Dr. Fauci is the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, one of the largest institutes of the NIH. He's also the chief medical advisor to President Biden. Here's his response to the question. Uh, we have at the NIH and in other agencies in the federal government had very productive, peer-reviewed, highly regarded research projects with our Chinese colleagues that have led to some major advances in biomedical research. So I don't think I'd be able to tell you that we are going to stop funding Chinese. He says the agency needs to have proper peer review when they do fund China, adding... I might point out that grants that go to foreign countries, including China, have State Department clearance. So anytime that we do fund anything in China or any other country, it has to go through a clearance with the State Department. Senator Marshall then questioned if the public has enough access to studies from a controversial nonprofit called the EcoHealth Alliance. But, but you would not deny that the research done through EcoHealth, that the records, the, the studies from there, that we still do not have access to them. Is that correct? Before we hear Fauci's response, here's some background. EcoHealth Alliance found itself at the center of controversy recently, which raised questions about the NIH's oversight over risky bioresearch. Here's what happened. EcoHealth Alliance received grant dollars from the NIH. It used the money to do research with a lab in Wuhan called the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The two experimented on how to make a virus spread more easily among humans. And the Wuhan lab later ended up in a massive debate on whether it had leaked the virus that caused the COVID-19 pandemic. As a result, the NIH was dragged into the controversy as it raised questions about whether it maintains enough oversight over studies that could be risky. Here's how Fauci responded to the question. We have, no, Senator Marshall, we have access to an extraordinary amount of information that has gone there. There is a question that people raise with things gone on there that we didn't have access to. But if you look at the grant, the $120,000 to $130,000 a year grant that was given from EcoHealth as a subaward in China to ask a very relevant high priority question, we have received from them published literature with data that shows that they have done what they were given the grant for. Now, obviously, none of us know everything that's going on in China, but if the, if, if the question at hand is the rather small grant, peer-reviewed, high-priority grant that was given from ECO to China in a sub-award, we have a lot of good information that's in the public. EcoHealth Alliance obtained over $3 million from the NIH from 2014 to 2019, and a fifth of that went to the Wuhan lab. That's according to reports from news outlet The Intercept. Twitter has suspended a doctor for sharing a study on Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. The study shows that men who received the vaccine had a temporary reduction in sperm concentration. Dr. Andrew Bostom with Brown University shared the peer-reviewed study on June 19th. Twitter informed Bostom that the post violated its policy against spreading misleading and potentially harmful information related to COVID-19. Bostom told the Epic Times that the move fits into a pattern of silencing open discussion. Twitter did not respond to an Epic Times request for comment. Bostom's post included a link to the Israeli study that analyzed sperm in men who received the two primary doses of Pfizer's vaccine. 
The study was published online ahead of publication in the Andrology Medical Journal. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, scientists discover an ancient turtle and its ancient egg in the ruins of the city of Pompeii. The city was devastated by an earthquake and then overtaken by a volcano in ancient times. And British Airways workers are expected to strike at the height of the summer season. Pay cuts taken during the pandemic haven't been reinstated. Find out more in just a minute here on NTD News. Travelers in and out of Newark Airport in New Jersey are about to have fewer options if they fly United. The airline announced it will cut about 50 daily flights from the airport. That represents 12% of its daily domestic flights from Newark, which is one of the airline's hubs. United officials say they are making the cuts because the airport doesn't have enough air traffic control staff, which leads to delays. Last month, United complained to the Federal Aviation Administration. It said other airlines are scheduling too many peak hour flights at Newark. Spirit Airlines struck back, pointing out that United has a virtual monopoly at the airport. United's cuts start in July, and the airline says it will go back to a full schedule there as soon as possible. British Airways workers have voted to strike over pay concerns during the school summer break. Hundreds of BA employees at London's Heathrow Airport are expected to take part in the strike at the height of the summer season. According to GMB union workers, there are angry after a 10% pay cut imposed on them during the pandemic has not been reinstated, despite bosses having their pre-COVID pay rates reinstated. Dates for the strikes are not yet to be confirmed, but are likely to be during the peak summer holiday period. The remains of a tortoise and its egg were unearthed by archaeologists in Pompeii, the Roman city buried in a volcanic eruption in 79 AD. The animal was found hidden under the clay floor of a storehouse. The tortoise probably died before the volcano erupted. Anthropologists working at the site said the tortoise dug itself a burrow. It could have laid its egg there, but failed to do so. That might have caused its death. The unusual find came to light during excavations. An earthquake devastated the area in 62 AD. It's thought that the tortoise got into the site after the earthquake, but before the volcanic eruption. The site was originally an opulent home with refined mosaics and wall paintings. It dated back to the first century BC. Archaeologists say they are not sure why the building was not restored in ancient times. Instead, it was converted into part of a public bathhouse. A flower display around the Tower of London has finally burst into bloom. It was meant to mark Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee weekend, but nature doesn't always stick to the schedule. Better late than never, visitors will be treated to 29 species of flowers that are set to bloom throughout the summer. The moat around the Tower of London is vibrant with many colors. 20 million seeds have been scattered at this spot in the city center, and this flower meadow is the spectacular result. But for the people behind the project, getting to this stage has been a nail-biting experience. I think I've had about three different weather apps on my phone. I mean, there's always challenges. Collaborating with nature is never going to be um, perfect. This floral display isn't just about looking pretty. There is benefit to the environment. To have a legacy that's not just a show of flowers, 
The, the flowers are wonderful, but it's, it's to have something underlying that, which is biodiversity, wildlife, which uh, is always under threat. 29 species of flowers have been sown here. That means that as some varieties stop blooming, there will be new ones ready to blossom in their place. So this city center flower meadow will keep visitors delighted all summer long. And coming up, Spain is hosting the World Dog Show competitions. You'll be able to see hundreds of dog breeds, including some of the rarest ones. Thor Love and Thunder premieres in Hollywood. It's the fourth Thor movie for Marvel. Find out what star Chris Hemsworth has to say about playing the lead character after the break. From small tackles to huge mastiffs, more than 15,000 purebred dogs will battle across 70 rings in front of international referees at the World Dog Show in Madrid, Spain. Spanish dog groomer Roberto Garcia advised that the most important thing is to make sure the dogs are happy and well taken care of. He was giving the finishing touches on Lola, a giant poodle. We want it to be seen that above all she is happy and healthy, that she represents her breed. She's a black giant poodle. Yesterday she had a spa bath. They live like kings. For hours we put creams on them. And then the haircut is about maintaining it. Dozens of countries were represented at the dog show. A woman from Odessa, Ukraine, brought two tackles to the competition with tiny Ukrainian flags. The tackle is a wired-haired dachshund. We are happy to be here at this exhibition, which is a very prestigious all over the world and where people come from all countries. And we have overcome very hard difficulties to come here. And we are here at such a difficult time for our country. A dog owner from the Netherlands traveled two days by car to get to the competition. He says he was really happy with his first award. You never know what's going to happen, you know, it's a, a different judge, a different view on your dog, but um, actually uh, my male who won best of breed has been a winner for quite some time, so I felt comfortable and yes, he did what he usually does, winning. The dog show in Madrid has a total of 250 of the almost 400 breeds recognized by the International Canine Federation. The public also enjoyed the rarest breeds such as the Peruvian hairless dog. <coughs> this is the third time that Spain is hosting the World Dog Show. The event was scheduled for 2020 but had to be moved due to the pandemic. The competition runs until this Sunday. A bloodhound named Trumpet won best of show in the 146th annual Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. He beat more than 3,000 dogs from 200 breeds and varieties to claim the prestigious prize. Thursday, Trumpet toured New York City and took photos from the top of the Empire State Building. The four-and-a-half-year-old male was handled by Heather Buner, one of the four owner breeders of the dog. The lovable hound was a crowd favorite in the venue in Terrytown, New York, about 25 miles north of New York City. Oh, he was, um, I think he was shocked. <laughs> he, he, um, he, when he saw everybody coming in and congratulating, he got super excited with all of his friends that were so close. All the emotions of today with the interviews and touring New York City after a long evening last night, it's just, it's an incredible ride. 
The show had entrants from the United States and nine other countries this year. It dates back to 1877 and has become a mainstay annual TV event. Judges examine the dogs up close, placing their hands in the animal, then watch as the handlers lead them around the floor. The dogs are graded on how they meet breed standards on appearance, temperament, size, coat, and other characteristics. Stars of Marvel Studios' latest blockbuster, Thor, Love and Thunder, walk the red carpet in Hollywood at the movie's world premiere. Elsa, Luke, Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, and Christian Bale led the cast as they were cheered on by thousands of fans. They lined up along Hollywood Boulevard, eager to catch a glimpse of the stars. Marvel Studios' latest installment finds the hero battling to defeat a galactic killer, Gore the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale. It's the fourth movie in the series. Even still, Hemsworth says he'll stay in the role for as long as he can. Every time I've played the character, it's uh, been a joy, and every time I've been asked to come back, I've been as excited as I was the first time I was asked to play the character, and I love it, mate. I love that we've done that with this film, and. Uh, Someone will have to tell me to stop because I love it. Thor Love and Thunder is the first Thor feature film since Thor Ragnarok in 2017. It'll be released in cinemas in the U.S. on July 8th. A couple married for 70 years celebrated the incredible milestone with a romantic photo shoot that went viral. It doesn't get any sweeter than this. This is the couple 70 years ago, and this is now. The loved up pair from South Dakota, Melvin and Nancy Lubbers, engaged in a spontaneous photo shoot to celebrate their 70 years of marriage. So they always tell me the story that they were both roller skating at a roller skating rink in South Dakota and grandma fell for grandpa, I guess. He swept, swept her right off his, her feet. <laughs> at the time, the newlyweds had no chance for a honeymoon, with Melvin being called into service just three weeks after marrying Nancy. He served in Korea for eight months. Seven decades later, the pair have five children, 12 grandchildren, and 21 great-grandchildren. Granddaughter Anna had the spur-of-the-moment idea to photograph her grandmother in her 1952 wedding gown. Fit her like a glove. It was crazy. I mean, I don't think I'll be able to fit my wedding dress in 70 years. <laughs> but she fit in it, and then my, my mom got to thinking, she was like, you know what, if we're going to take pictures with your dress on, maybe we should get Grandpa's Army uniform on as well. She was just thrilled. Um, Grandpa, on the other hand, would rather stay out of the spotlight. But seeing his wife in her wedding dress again, Melvin says it brought back some good memories. The couple had a church wedding and dinner. Melvin recalls having ice cream and cake for dessert. He always jokes he got Nancy's rings and a gumball machine, but the young couple actually paid for the wedding themselves. I believe personally that it's a testament to show that it's not just like a happy love story. It is the commitment and love between two people that fought through a lot of a lot of adversity and they've made it 70 years um, and they're able to celebrate with each other and they're still madly in love with each other. Their secret to a long and happy marriage, mutual respect and the importance of working through any disagreements. Nancy suggests to forgive and forget and Melvin says once it's resolved, don't bring it back up. Grandma always says to put God first and to let just things roll off. If, if you're going to argue, you just got to like let it go. And Grandpa always says to just make sure that um, you're always letting go of things that aren't, aren't big problems. I have seen and done a lot of wedding portraits as a professional wedding photographer. And 
I can always tell the people that are really committed and loving to work towards each other by the way that they um, show love to each other. And the biggest indicator is if they're selfless and able to take care of the other person before themselves. And so I have been lucky enough to see this in my grandparents that they are, they have the most selfless love I've ever seen. Anna and her family treasure these photos of the devoted pair as much as the couple treasure each other. I think something as wholesome as a couple that's been together for 70 years is good news that people want to believe in love. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Mm -hmm.